Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, this is your opportunity to talk your shit. You know what I mean? So like, um, again, like before we before I started hitting record, I told you like, um, on the Google form, it's like you kind of check off what you want to talk about, and yeah. you had you had interracial relationships, indigenous, outdoors, environmental issues, LGBT, LGBTQ plus, um, and I was like, yeah, I, I don't know how we're gonna find a way to like make all these things intersect. I think but we're gonna- I got you. Yo, welcome back to another episode of the Color Reimagined Podcast. It's presented to you by People of Color Clothing. And of course, I'm your host, Darius Northern. And today, I have a very special guest, Ariel. We talk about a lot. And to my amazement, she makes it all in a sec. So enjoy. Where are you from? Who are you? Like, what do you represent? Yeah. Like, what's up? Okay, well, you know? Hello, my name is Ariel. I use they, them pronouns. I am ancestrally Kanaka Olivi from the illegally occupied kingdom of Hawaii. And I also have ancestry. <laughs> in japan and china um to answer your question where i'm from that question makes me like really really nervous because i wouldn't really say i'm from anywhere specifically Uh, my dad was in the military for pretty much my entire life so i spent like my young childhood and my high school years kind of like moving around every two to three years um in like this really like transit transitory state And I guess only when I came to Oregon or what's now called Oregon for college, I feel like I finally settled. And then I graduated a couple years ago and now I'm living in what's now Portland. Um, So I guess Portland is kind of my closest conception to home, but I'm always going to be tied to my islands of Hawaii where my people live and where my ancestors have been from since time immemorial. (laughs) Uh, for sure, for sure. I think a lot of times we forget um, the atrocities that had to take place for us to occupy this land exactly. or for Europeans, colonizers, to occupy the land, which segue us being here. Um, it's kind of crazy. Sometimes like, I take morning walks like a like an old head. And uh, I think about that sometimes. I think about, like, yo, I wonder what this was, like, what this environment looked like 200, 300, 400 years ago. Um, 100%. And just like the the how was the land being utilized? What did the land look like? What did the people yep. look like before? Yep. You know, everything is like car centric and, and all these buildings. Yeah. And, you know, it's just I don't know. It's something to think about. So like when you when you had your introduction and the way you kind of described like Hawaii and like what is known as Oregon and stuff like that, it's like it's kind of put into context like the bigger picture and how all this stuff came to be. I was gonna say that's like what I try and do is just like I guess indigenize and like yeah indigenize my worldview because like I am indigenous from Hawaii and like I am living here in ancestral homelands that are not my own and I do not know my ancestral homelands or my ancestral language all directly because of colonization and so like I feel like I owe it not only to the indigenous folk of the land that I'm currently occupying but also like to my other indigenous kin like in my homelands and all over the world like i don't know we got to reclaim our shit you know because it is ours and it was stolen from us violently exactly i like your perspective i think i'm gonna i'm gonna take that on for sure um and walk with that awareness everywhere i go i was actually interviewing somebody yesterday Um, her name was jesse incredible story like her energy was huge Mm. um her storytelling was impeccable but she was and she was from she was from hawaii as well um she was just kind of like giving me kind of putting me on and like what she experienced and the diversity that's on the island but she said that and i did not know this yesterday that 
native Hawaiians only make up 20% of Hawaii, which is crazy to think about. Like, it's crazy to think about. And when we think, I think Hawaii is, is sometimes like put into that box of being like this, this vacation paradise, Mm -hmm. this, this place we can go to kick our feet up. But we forget about the people who live there, the people who occupy the land and the history, the queen, the reason why a lot of the the names are Americanized and the Mm -hmm. middle name is usually Hawaiian, like the the pigeon language that's kind of, you know, that people couldn't speak for, speak um, publicly. Mm -hmm. Um, We we forget that a lot. Yeah, it's so sad. The commodification of our land base, of our people, of our culture, Mm -hmm. like it's heartbreaking. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, this is your opportunity to talk your shit. You know what I mean? So, like, um, again, like before we before I started hitting record, I told you, like, um, on the Google form, it's like you kind of check off what you want to talk about. And yeah. you had you had interracial relationships, indigenous, outdoors, environmental issues, LGBT, LGBTQ plus. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I don't know how we're going to find a way to like make all these things intersect. I think but gonna- I got you. So for me, everything mm-hmm. that I like kind of checked off all ties back to my ancestry in Hawaii. So like okay, okay. my like indigeneity is defined for me by me being Kanaka Oibi, like being Native Hawaiian. And mm-hmm. then my like relationship and my kinship with the outdoors and like the more than human world is also based on my like connection to the land and the waters in that kind of like ancestrally, like that's who my people are, where we came from. It's like, we came from the ocean, right? Like we're voyaging peoples and we were inherently connected to the land and to the waters. And like, I identify in like these English language terms as non-binary, but in the Hawaiian culture, in Kanaka culture, there's this thing, there's these people, powerful people called mahu, um, mm-hmm. M A with like a kahako, an H, and then a, also a kahako or a U with a kahako over it, which just elongates the sound. Um, mm-hmm. But they're like the Kanaka culture's conception of like a third gender, and they're said to be able to intertwine both like masculine and femininity in a way that is like really really powerful and like in. Kanaka times, the Mahu were like the priests and they were the people who were in charge of ceremonies. And they were like Kumuhula, the people who were in charge of like our stories and our songs and our dances. And so like they were like seen as these spiritual leaders. And then with colonization and the introduction of like white evangelical Christianity to the Hawaiian islands, um, it became very like cis normative where like, these third gender mahu very powerful people were like swept under the rug and been like oh like that's not okay like you have to be god made them men and women you know and man and mm-hmm. women they made them and so like i think for me that's how i like can combine all of those things and as far as like the interracial relationships it's just like i've been in so many interracial interracial excuse me relationships like not only romantically but also like platonically and in different like settings as well and i feel like just the way that each and every one of us shows up in the world is so incredibly impactful because there are all of these like powers and forces and systems of oppression and violence like that each of us carry that we bring to the table that we just like can't separate from our like humanity 
for sure. That was hella impressive. And affected everything the outdoors, interracial relationships, environmental issues, LGBTQ plus. Like you you really just did that. But um to take it back to I don't know if it was at the beginning of this episode or before we even before I hit record, but you said that your father was in the military and you yeah. traveled a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um through your travels. I'm, I'm sure there was a disconnect from your culture or was it always prevalent in your household and you had to kind of like search it and seek it out and discover it as an adult? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, my, I think there was always a disconnect from my culture, especially mm-hmm. my Hawaiian culture and my Chinese culture. My dad is like, to talk in terms of blood quantum, my dad is like fully Japanese and my mom is Japanese, Chinese and Hawaiian. So I get my Chinese and Hawaiian from my mom's side of the family. Um, and so growing up, we didn't really have a lot of access to culture or like ways to practice our culture because my parents weren't really big advocates of practicing our culture. I think like it wasn't until I went away to college and really like developed my own mindset and like discovered like who I am and where I came from, where I like willingly had to and still have to like do the work for sure quoted to like rediscover and relearn my culture um I'd say that like I think that my parents it's like really sad to see them like I feel like this is like a very strong word but I feel like their mindset is like kind of like assimilated to this like idea of what it means to be successful as seen through this very like white Americanized like two-story house with a picket fence and a nice mailbox like kind of definition of success which is like really sad to see because I think that they also hold that standard for themselves, but then they mm-hmm. also hold that for myself and my siblings. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think, um, cause even for me, like growing up and having, you know, that traditional education, you know, thinking that Abraham Lincoln was like, cool, <laughs> not knowing that Abraham Lincoln said, yo, I would preserve slavery if I could, but I Good, can't, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So it's like, not knowing that, but just kind of like being brainwashed into thinking that, you know, these historical events, Martin Luther King is this, um, not knowing that, you know, they had to kind of take care of him because he started to speak out against the war in yeah. Vietnam, um, not knowing these things, but having to discover these things as an, as an adult definitely changes your perspective and your approach to um, just life and experiences yeah. and things like that. And it's almost like you feel like you've been lied to your whole life. Definitely. Um, so that So that rediscovery of 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 history uncovering our our history and, and exploring and, and discovering is is paramount um mm-hmm. i encouraged i i like to encourage people to do their own research because it means a little bit more right you Definitely. can sit here and, and hear me say hey this 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 but when you actually like put yourself on game like it the information hits differently right oh, so 100%. you know you kind of talked about college being your environment for that rediscovery like, yeah. what was it? Was it a class? Was it a professor? Was it a group of people? Was it an organization that really sparked that curiosity into discovering who you mm. are, were, yeah. and who you're becoming? Um, That's a really good question. And I can't really say... I think for me, it was just like being in a lot of classes and just mm-hmm. like absorbing all of this information of like the history that we were never taught in school, you know, and like actually learning about it. And 
being like really angry and like feeling really betrayed and lied to being like this is fucked up like you weren't gonna tell us that there was literal like genocide of indigenous people and literal like kidnapping and stealing of people Mm -hmm. from africa and bringing them and like you know like and just being like really really mad and i think that that is like kind of something that like radicalized me sense and then i actually had this opportunity like sophomore year tying this back to like the conversation about the outdoors where i went i had this opportunity to go to this conference in what's now utah and it was like this really bougie outdoor education conference that i went with with our program like our outdoor ed program um on our college campus and there was this affinity group that was only for bipoc individuals and i was really excited for that because i was like wow i get to connect with other bipoc individuals like in the industry in the outdoor industry which is like very 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 primarily predominantly white Uh um, especially back at that time um and i remember like being really really excited for this affinity group i show up it's me maybe four other black and brown folk and then probably like 10 to 15 white people yeah (laughs) in this affinity group and we get into this room and like i'm looking at mother black and brown kin and we're like the fuck are these white people doing here like do they not know what an affinity group is and so we were feeling really uncomfortable and then basically one of my friends like stood up called them all out and was like this is not your space this is a space for us because Mm -hmm. everything else and so like we then separated and like the white people went and talked and then we talked amongst ourselves and just like had a really like healing conversation and i think like there was a moment in what we were talking about where everyone was talking about their connection to the land and these Mm -hmm. were people who like whose families were migrant workers right who were like out in the fields all of the time and they're like a different conception of the outdoors. There were people who were indig- or who are indigenous, you know, and who have like an inherent connection to the land because of their culture and things like that. And then there are people who are like trying to um, reconnect with the land after like the land has been seen as something like very violent and something that has been taken from them ancestrally. Yeah, for sure. And so like it was in those conversations where I was like, okay, like I've always felt drawn to nature in like some way shape or form but I couldn't really like pinpoint why like it was a lot deeper for me than going outside and being like oh wow like this is so beautiful like it was just so much deeper than that like I could feel it like in my heart in my bones like in my body and my soul that like I'm out, supposed to be out on the land primarily like in the water for me is like where I feel the most whole is like in any sort of water and it was in those conversations when I'm sharing these thoughts and these feelings with my newfound friends. And then they're like, oh, wait, didn't you say that you are like Hawaiian? You're native Hawaiian? And I was like, mm-hmm. yes. And they're like, this would make sense. Like, it's your connection to the land is literally your ancestors calling you back to them. Right. I think the land is where, <laughs> you know, the crime happened, you know, the the, the stealing of the land. And, yep. Um, yep. You know whether it's been, whether it's like you know agricultural or just owning the land or what it's just land has always been that thing and and land yeah. now is such a commodity it's so commoditized mm-hmm. and, yep. and all of this it's just like um it's important that that visual representation is there for people to see right because mm-hmm. i always say like your actions your 
your boldness to pioneer space gives other people permission to do the same, right? So um, being being in those, those spaces that are untraditional, not necessarily untraditional, I guess, to the modernized mind, um, I think it's important to have that visualization. So having that bike group, having that hiking group, um, the Corvallis climbers of color, um, yeah. the PDX climbers of color, mm -hmm. um, surfing, all of that stuff is like, we've been on that. It's just like the, the history and everything tells that's us that like, you know, that's not us. That's not what we do. Yep. Um, I actually sent a video to my group chat on Instagram earlier today of this black guy snowboarding and doing all type of cool shit. And I'm just like, damn, like, and we do that too. Like, okay, yeah. I see you, bro. And it's just like that visualization and he's pioneering a space for a younger mind to see it or an yep. older mind to see it and yep. be like, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit the slopes. I'm going to figure out how to, and I think that's that's the cool part of, of pioneering space and giving people yeah. permission to, to to explore and get outside their comfort zone and Definitely. stuff like that. So like, and feeling connected to water, it's just like, what do you say? Like, here, that's your ancestors calling you home or something? Yeah. Like, it's just like, that was deep. That was deep. Um, that was deep. But I've always felt like, I don't know, it was just something about being in nature and seeing it move naturally, right? It's just like everything has a divine purpose. Definitely. And it blows my mind. Like even in fall when the leaves are dropping and I'm just like, yo, how do these motherfuckers know to drop their leaves? And like, True. It's just like, they just know, you know? And it's just, it, it's in ants and flies and mm -hmm. bees and like everything has a divine purpose. And it's, mm -hmm. I think the way that nature moves and it's been moving since the beginning of time. True. It's just something that, you know, we're so media driven today that we kind of overlook that. You know what I'm saying? Like leaves yeah. changing colors, dropping and then reemerging in in spring is like a metaphor for life. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. oh my God, it's so it's so beautiful. So kind of segueing into like my next question, yeah. um, in your perspective in the time that we have left, um, what would you say is the biggest misconception about Hawaii? And that's probably a deep, multi-layered question, but yeah, um, what would you say is the biggest misconception about Hawaii? And what would you want somebody who doesn't know a lot about Hawaii outside of like the perception that's been painted? What mm -hmm. would you want that person to know? To know. That's a really good question. And I think for me, I can narrow it down. And I think that for me, it all comes back to the fact that Hawaii is an illegally occupied kingdom. Like the Hawaii is not supposed to be a US state. There is actually mm -hmm. no treaty, like there's no physical treaty or documentation of Hawaii's annexation into the United States of America. Like they overthrew our monarchy. And then in order to save her people, our queen abdicated her throne to the US government, thinking that the US government would rightfully um realize what was happening there was a group what, of what year what year did this happen 1893 okay 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 so i think like if that would be my advice like people if they really want to get educated about like the events of like the overthrow and all of those things like google maybe like the mid to late 1800s in hawaii and mm. there's like so so much there's so much there um Basically, like some little summary, there was like a group of white businessmen who wanted to annex Hawaii into the United States only for mm -hmm. economic reasons. 
because of coffee and sugar cane and they didn't want to have to pay like foreign tariffs or imports because mm -hmm. at that time Hawaii was its own independent kingdom that was entered that had like trade relationships with the United States as well as like Great Britain and France and other European powers at that time um so they forced like way before our queen was in power our king king david kalakaua was in power and one of his last like motions in power was to sign what is we know as like the bayonet con constitution which granted more rights to white business owners in the kingdom but he basically mm -hmm. signed that under force because he thought that his life was being threatened mm. so shortly after that was signed he died um of like a sickness and then Queen Liliuokalani came into power and then 1893 happened all of the things the white businessmen staged a coup they like held our people captive held our queen captive they tried to like that sounds about white <laughs> exactly <laughs> they like moved things to like Washington DC and tried to get all of these things signed um but the congress or i don't even really know the whole workings of it off the top of my head but like the government the u.s government basically was like no this cannot happen they never got the two-thirds majority needed in like the senate and the house to like push mm -hmm. through the actual annexation of hawaii um and then when I'm forgetting all of the dates, but like that was, I think, when Cleveland pr was president and Grover Cleveland was like, no, this is illegal. And then when President McKinley was elected, McKinley was like, no, we're going to do this. And so McKinley mm -hmm. was the one who signed a joint resolution, which isn't actually a treaty of annexation. It just it's like processed different ways. Uh -huh. um, and Hawaii didn't actually become a state until sometime in like the mid 1900s yeah so. i've always i've always wondered that like how did the u.s get involved with hawaii because hawaii yeah. is so far away yeah far away and even mm -hmm. like alaska like how yep. did i know but i mean and then things know. like the military complicated even more like with world war yeah. ii and all that stuff i don't know the dates are like there's so many different years and it's all getting jumbled in my heads but i can send you like more concise things if you would like yeah for sure for sure um but i think that uh i don't know co colonization on all fronts is just you you think about i think i have a shirt that says you know what do people speak before they were forced to learn mm -hmm. you know french dutch english portuguese yep. and all this stuff um and I, I think a lot of times like with every word that we speak and even this conversation um is a direct reflection of colonization oh, right? the, the language that we're using right so it's uh so much is lost or so much was lost and so much is still so much is is still undiscovered yeah um about who we were prior to being quote unquote discovered mm -hmm. um by a group of people who had every intent on taking over what they saw what they represented um or what they discovered so it's 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 been an interesting um voyage just kind of learning about indigenous australians learning about indigenous hawaiians learning about um you know all these different all these different civilizations um and, and art and structures and stuff like that uh it's it's very humbling to think about and i think 
you know, in relation to Hawaii, a lot of times we forget that, you know, that <laughs> there's a history behind the land that that people now see as a vacation destination. Oh, 100%. Um, so now when it comes to your because you said you're also Japanese and Chinese, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. How do you how do you explore that culture or have you have you just have you like explored yeah. and discover more about that culture? Definitely. I think that I like we grew up doing some like Japanese traditional celebrations like that's how we celebrate um like the new year's in our household is what we like traditional Japanese food and sometimes we like a lot of my extended family like they're like funeral services have been in Buddh Buddhist temples but I'm still not as connected with my Japanese or my Chinese ancestry um mm -hmm. at this point and I think like I just it's a lot you know like rediscovering culture is a lot and like I am proud of where I come from and who I come from on like all sides but I think like right now I feel very drawn to like learn more about my Hawaiian ancestry and like I think like just because right now the opportunity is presenting itself um mm -hmm. whereas I think with my Japanese and Chinese culture like I just don't really have that many like family members who are as in touch with that side of their ancestry as well and how did you how did your family eventually end up in Oregon? Or yeah, my family how did you, how did you how, end up in Oregon? I went to college um out here in like a at a small liberal arts school in Forest mm -hmm. Grove, Oregon. My mom and my dad currently live in what's now Colorado. They've lived okay. there cool. since like 2012. And so I went mm -hmm. to high school there. Um, and I graduated from high school and then I was like, Ooh, I don't really like it out here. It's very white. It's yeah. very Christian. It's very conservative. And so I went to Oregon and I've been here ever since. So what, like when you, before you came to Oregon, um, as a transplant, like, what did you, what was your perception of Oregon? Like coming in from Colorado? Coming in from Colorado. Honestly, I had no, I had no idea. I really, I went to this school called Pacific University. <laughs> Um, okay. And at that time, Pacific University has like a really big student population from Hawaii. Like I think mm -hmm. like statistically a third of their student population is from Hawaii. Uh, and I and I like really wanted that. I really wanted that connection to like my people, <laughs> to people that looked like me um, and sounded like me because I haven't, I was never around that for like my whole childhood. Um, mm -hmm. And then I got here, like got to Oregon and was just like, whoa. I'm blown away. It's not what I expected at all. I didn't really know what I expected, but it was not this. And then I'm again sitting in class and I learned that Oregon was literally made as a white supremacist utopia. And I'm like, yikes. Like, I'm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? I came across that to like, like, I came here sight unseen, but I graduated from Oregon State University. And I, I think that uh, I did yeah. not do my research prior to coming here, yeah. mind Same. you. Um, but I think it's just the perception of just Portland. I guess it's yep. the perception of Oregon yeah. that, you know, the, the, you know, let's, it's just, I don't know. It's just like a, it's a vibe, yeah. um, the perception is. So when I got here, I was kind of taken aback by the lack of diversity. And I think yeah. it might've taken me like three days to see my first black person here. Um, and I, I was just like, from that moment, I was like, all right, something is off. Like, let yeah. me, why is Oregon this way? And then discovering the white utopia, discovering um, the Vanport floods, discovering yep. all these different yep. things and realizing that Oregon is low key like a facade, you know. Oh, 100%. So, and that, that you know, taking that type of energy and like, um, 
you know, and that information and internalizing it and just like, I wanted to transfer after my first term here, you know what I'm saying? But it was like, yeah. you know, I cannot run away from an un uncomfortable situation. So I just kind of chose to, uh, I chose to just adapt and embrace and learn from this experience. I would know that, you know, all those experiences will kind of cultivate into me creating the people of color clothing brand. Mm, yeah. Um, so it's like, it's crazy. Like coming to Oregon and thinking that like, I literally in my mom was like, Yo, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a break from being black for just a, for four years. Like I'm gonna be able to chill and like, not have to think about my identity all the time. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And then contrast that with all of the like trendy young white liberals that wear like Blundstones <laughs> and beanies and they drink yeah. craft beer. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you see yourself in Oregon long-term? No. Long term, I see myself returning back to Hawaii sometime. I don't know when up. or how, but I just know that I'm supposed to be back there. Yeah, so um, I appreciate you joining me today. Yo. Um, yeah, I think thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, you, you put me on game with a lot. Um, and I, I love the, I think you said indigenized. Mm -hmm. um, I love that approach and how you kind of refer to what is now the state of Utah, what is now the, the state of Colorado, what is now the state of, of Oregon. Um, because it really puts into perspective um, the process that had to take place in order for that state to be what it is today. Yep. Um, and yep. the people that, it, oh my God, I don't even want to get on to <laughs> talking about like Native Americans and just the atrocities they face. Oh, um, yeah, so but uh, I appreciate your energy. Oh, your energy is big. And just like yeah, the, the numbers and the dates and the, the knowledge you came off of the top of the dome, like that was hella impressive. Oh, um, and I appreciate you spending your time with the, yeah. the POC uh, podcast. You as well. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I love the work sure. that you're doing. I'm happy to support it in any way that I can. All right, for sure. So that's POC closing out. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm. Hey, thank you for listening to the Color Reimagine podcast presented to you by People of Color Clothing. And a special thank you to our guest, Ariel for lending their energy, their essence, their voice to our platform. And if you want to be like Ariel and have your own Color Reimagined podcast episode, it is simple. Make sure you follow us at People of Color Clothing on Instagram. Look out for our casting calls. Sign up through the Google Doc. Select your topic. Select your time to record. And boom, this is a podcast that is for the people, by the people. And we want to really build out this thing using your voice and your experience and giving you the platform to share both of those things. So if that's you, if you're interested and you want to be a part of the podcast experience, I told you what to do. Do it. And I'll see you soon. Again, this is Darius, Color Reimagine Podcast, signing out. Until next time, take care. I don't think y'all feel it. Touch this shit. Uh, yeah. R.I.P. to 